Welcome to the 2QB Experience Podcast. I'm your host, my name is Greg Smith. You can find me on Twitter at GregSauce. This is episode number 90 of the 2QB XP. It's the 10th and final installment of my two-a-days series. You know the drill with two-a-days at this point. We get two guests per show, and they're going to dive into everything they know about QBs, uh, specific to their own you know, experience within the fantasy football community. Uh, we got two great guests for you today. The first is Salvatore Stefanelli of 2QBs.com, my partner in crime here uh, in the two-quarterback world. And we're going to talk about the Rodney Dangerfield of fantasy football, the value of rushing uh, in quarterback performance, and the possibility of going even deeper on QBs with three quarterback leagues. So listen for that. Uh, today's second guest is Rich Rebar of Roto World, and we'll discuss the replaceability and replicability of quarterback scoring how fantasy owners overrate the draft most of the time and assign too much importance to drafting a balanced roster. And we'll also talk about common misconceptions about playing quarterback matchups during the season. Before we get to our guests, though, I want to remind you that the 2QBs.com 2018 Superflex and 2QB Draft Guide is still available. If you've got a draft coming up and it's a 2QB league, this is the draft guide for you. 10% of all sales are going to go to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, a very good cause. And this thing is jam-packed with info for your two quarterback formats. I want to highlight the Draft Guide's article today uh, on offensive line play by Justin Edwards. He notes key O-line development since last season. And if you head over to 2QBs.com this week, you can actually find an addendum to Justin's Draft Guide article where he examines notable offensive line trends from this preseason that we're going through right now. Justin's article only takes up four of the guide's 221 digital pages, though. We're talking about a jam-packed smorgasbord of awesome two-quarterback content. To get your copy and dominate your two-quarterback leagues, head over to 2QBs.com. That's T-W-O-Q-B-S.com and order your copy today. Use the coupon code BLOCKING to get 10% off, but make sure you click Proceed to Checkout before you enter that coupon code. If you enter it on the cart screen, it's not going to work, so go to... Proceed to checkout, then enter the code BLOCKING to get 10% off. And now it's time to get to our guests, but first, a brief message from the show's new sponsor. Do you want an unfair advantage to dominate your fantasy football league? Well, look no further and download SquadQL, the only mobile app you need to crush your friends and rivals this year. SquadQL recommends the best starting lineup for you each week based on your starters, bench players, and the free agent pool. You might be asking, how does SquadQL actually do this? Well, the app connects directly with your Yahoo League, your ESPN League, or your CBS League. It pulls in your actual roster and your league scoring system. Then SquadQL provides waiver and trade recommendations. Plus, the app gives you player rankings each week. And it's all based on your league settings. You know, the scoring, the roster, construction, all of it. SquadQL truly is your go-to app this fantasy football season. So head to SquadQL.com to download SquadQL your all-in-one fantasy football manager. SquadQL is brought to you by the creators of RotoQL, the leading daily fantasy lineup optimizer that's trusted by over 100,000 DFS players. So you can also download RotoQL free for both Android and Apple. Check it out. I'd like to welcome in my partner, Salvatore Stefanilli, to the show, to the two-a-days, man. It's, it's been too long. I can't believe I didn't get you on until the, the last of these episodes, man. How you doing? I'm doing, uh, I'll say good. You know, everyone always says good when you ask them how they're doing. <laughs> I'm just busy and tired, like pretty much, I would imagine, 90% of the world. But I do appreciate you letting me come on, talk some fantasy on this uh, two-a-day series, which I've really been enjoying. 
I listened to the latest one today with um, Hermsmeyer and Chris Allen of 4 for 4, and I thought that was the best one of the series so far. Yeah, that was one of my favorites. I But, I mean, I really like kind of all of them and how all the different takes that we got from everybody who, who came on the show. I think it's pretty cool to kind of contrast all of them together. And But but you're right, man. At Chris and, and Josh, they brought it on that show, like really hard-hitting, like analytical stuff, um, some deeper dive stuff. I, I really appreciated what they had to offer. So if you're listening to this and you haven't checked that episode out, listeners, uh, be sure to do that. Sal, let's dive into to your take on the quarterback position. What is the biggest evaluation takeaway that you've gained through your work at two QBs, uh, four QBs, two QBs, four QBs? Does that work? Is that? <laughs> <laughs> I know I had that exact same uh, epiphany today. It's like the number two and the number four. I just like numbers and URLs, I guess. Um, can so going back to your question, can I say that the answer is that? Alex Smith is a Rodney Dangerfield of fantasy football. Oh, please explain. I think that's a great answer, but you're going to have to back it up. Can we just end the podcast on that just note? <laughs> drop, mic drop. <laughs> uh, that really, that wasn't my actual answer, but I can uh, go deeper on that. I just, I found that ever since he became the starting quarterback in Kansas City, he, well, I guess he was always really an afterthought in fantasy football leagues going back to his days in the Niners, but once he became a chief is when, I personally started taking him seriously, but he's just someone who's always there at the end of two QB drafts. Um, going back over the years, the earliest he was taken in that five-year span as a chief was QB 19 at 78.3 overall in two quarterback leagues. He uh, And then the lowest was QB 26 last year at 130.6 overall. When you exclude week 16, we saw him finish as the fantasy QB 2 overall. He has uh, 32 weeks of top 12 weekly scoring performance on his resume during that five-year stretch, which is about, I think it was like three or five weeks less than Cam Newton during the same stretch. I mean, he just, he always outperforms his ADP. So that's why he's the Ronnie Dangerfield of fantasy football. But in uh, relation to your actual question, for me, it just, I've come to value rushing and dual-threat quarterbacks. I've always had an affinity for the... Rushing, more athletic quarterback over the years, like Donovan McNabb or Tim Tebow, RG3. Um, I didn't play fantasy football back then, but watching highlights of Warren Moon was always fun. And having spent so much time uh, digging into numbers over the years during my fantasy football analyst career has led to an even greater appreciation for rushing quarterbacks and just how much of a cheat code they truly are in fantasy leagues that award four points per passing touchdown i'll throw out a little shout out to my two days partner in this series um rich rebar who came up with the konami code when it comes to rushing quarterbacks but if you look at the numbers uh, six of the top 12 fantasy qbs last year ran for at least 180 yards um eight such quarterbacks the year before i know 18 fantasy points might not sound like that much but that could be the difference between a qb finishing as like a qb1 or a qb2 and if you go a little even deeper in the numbers, the top two fantasy scoring quarterbacks from last year who were uh, Russell Wilson and Cam Newton. Wilson ran for 586 yards and three touchdowns, which was 20.3% of his total fantasy output for the year. And uh, Newton, from rushing uh, rushing uh, yards and touchdowns alone, that made up 33.2% of his fantasy production. And uh, you have to go all the way back to 2013 to find the 
Overall QB1, who didn't rush for at least 249 yards, which was Peyton Manning in his uh, 55 touchdown season. Dang, man. Yeah, that's impressive. Like, I didn't realize it was that big of a trend at the top of the QB position. Like, I always think of rushing quarterbacks as guys who provide extra value from the middle tiers. Like, I think of Tyrod Taylor or Alex Smith. I think of those types of players. I don't necessarily think of the elite guys providing that. But you're right. I mean, Russell Wilson, even Andrew Luck, uh, Aaron Rodgers, those guys are all above average rushing producers. I do want to get back to Alex Smith. And I'm curious, who do you think... Because Alex Smith, like, I hate to break it to you, Sal. He's not going to be able to do it forever. <laughs> Who is, like, the heir apparent to Alex Smith for you? Like, is there a, a younger quarterback that you kind of see occupying that, like, perennially underrated aspect of fantasy at the quarterback position? There's only going to be one Alex Smith in my heart. But if I have to use my head, I'm going to go with Mitch Trubisky. Um, I have an article coming out for a website next week, hopefully, where I kind of did a little bit of a deeper dive on Mitch Trubisky. But I know he came in, those he didn't have much fanfare in his rookie season. Uh, what was it, that one game when he like attempted seven passes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like and um, he, his first four fantasy games, he scored under 10 fantasy points. I mean, he did have a couple of like, upside weeks scoring like – 15 points here, 20 points here, 18 points here. But going back to the rushing yards uh, that we uh, that I mentioned earlier, he had um, – I have the numbers here. Let me just bring them up. Uh, he rushed for 248 yards last year, but that was only in 12 games. And now he comes into a – I think a fantastic situation for a young quarterback. He's got a new head coach who's going to come up with more creative ways to play calls in the previous administration and – Matt Nagian, who is also attached to Alex Smith as the uh, kind of a part-time play caller for the Chiefs last year once Andy Reid gave up the uh, the play calling duties. And Mark Helfrich from Oregon, who had some ties with um, Chip Kelly. Oof, we all know how fancy quarterbacks did under Chip Kelly. So that's a very nice situation. The Bears have a decent O-line. And now they also have weapons at every position. Tree Cohen and Jordan Howard at RB. Uh, Trey Burton at tight end. Allen Robinson. Taylor, Ga- Taylor Gabriel. Anthony Miller at wide receiver. So it's almost kind of like a, a mirror situation to what um, Alex Smith played with last year in terms of having uh, a good offense and weapons around him and that extra boost from Russian production. Yeah, I could see that a lot. I mean, the one thing that I would maybe push back on with Trubisky is that he is still so young that if he just gets good this year, there's no way he'll be undervalued next year. You know what I mean? And he'll get that respect that Alex Smith isn't getting as uh, the current Rodney Dangerfield proxy. I'm wondering if maybe like it could be Blake Bortles, you know, a guy who we've actually seen do it and provide that Konami code rushing uh, but for just because we know he's not necessarily the greatest QB and being on a team like Jacksonville that has such a good defense and such a good running game, like he is pretty low down in most people's rankings, even though he's actually finished as a, a pretty usable fantasy quarterback over the past couple of years. I think Case Keenum's another interest, interesting candidate, not for the rushing aspect, but just kind of because he, he's a late bloomer to some extent. And again, like not ranked very high now, but you know, could, could put it together. Who knows? But um, getting yeah, can- back. Oh, go ahead. I'm just going to say, I, I can agree with you there. I mean, I was just kind of looking at it from like this year's point of view, mm-hmm. and I just updated the 2QB ADP on the website. And even though Alex Smith was a fantasy QB2 last year, he's still going as a QB18 in drafts, and Mitchell Trubisky is going as a QB22. 
Yeah, I could see it. I mean, another guy I should throw out is Jared Goff, who I tend to disrespect on this show, so I'll eat a little bit of crow. It, it, it is possible that he just becomes like that uber game manager, that like high-level game manager, kind of like Alex Smith was for those first couple years in Kansas City. I mean, Goff already has, you know, one kind of blow-up season last year, uh, but I don't know. I don't expect him to do that every year necessarily, and with that in mind, like if he has a mediocre year this year, he'll probably be pretty cheap you know, in subsequent years and, and he could be another value. I mean, the point is that there are a lot of guys who kind of fill this candidacy for, you know, undervalued quarterbacks. And, and that's why we love two quarterback formats, right? Oh yeah. The the pool just keeps getting deeper and deeper. We were worried what was going to happen when like the Drew Breeses and the Tom Brady's retire, if they ever retire. But we've just seen this influx of young quarterbacks who've just been viable options in fantasy leagues. It would be crazy though. Let let what if they did all just retire after this year? If Breeze and Brady and I mean who else could we throw in there? Philip Rivers, maybe Eli Manning, if those guys all just went away, even Ben Roethlisberger, that would really shake up the quarterback landscape. What do you think like how do you think that would play out for leagues? Like do you think people would overreact and start drafting quarterbacks too high again? What do you think? Well, I think that security blanket would be gone for people that like to draft an Aaron Rodgers early. I think he might become even more of a commodity in two quarterback leagues. and But then we would maybe properly value Matthew Stafford finally <laughs> two quarterback leagues. And then, I mean, what we had five quarterbacks taken in the first round this year. Um, we had uh, Trubisky last year. Who was the first? Who went before Trubisky again? I can't remember. We had Trubisky and Mahomes and Deshaun Watson came in last year. Um, Jared Goff and Carson Wentz the year before. I mean, I just feel like in the NFL, they would probably go and continue this trend of using first-round picks and quarterbacks, which would then in turn make fantasy owners talk about draft capital, <laughs> about used on certain players. So I think the younger guys would move up a, like a bit. They would probably leapfrog like lower and dependable veterans. You mentioned like Case Keenum or Blake Bortles. But I just feel like probably Aaron Rodgers would be a surefire first-rounder and then depending on how Russell Wilson plays this year, he would go in there. But I just think an option like Stafford and maybe Jimmy Garoppolo, like those type of quarterbacks might be overvalued just because fantasy owners are like, well, I don't have this surefire QB one anymore. Who's the next best thing. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, that's probably not going to happen though. And like we talked about the quarterback position seems like it's deeper than ever. And I started thinking about this a few weeks ago in terms of like, we, we've really been promoting 2QB for a long time, like even before 2QBs.com. How deep could, do you think we could actually go on this? Can we get to like a three-quarterback fantasy league where you wouldn't necessarily have three QB spots, but like one quarterback spot and then two super flexes? We're actually in the middle of an experiment to try this out. Um, I mentioned it with John Bosch when he was on a two-a-day uh, last week, and... He put together a, a best ball league with one quarterback and two super flex spots. It wasn't quite what I had envisioned, to be honest. And I mean, all love to John. Like, I'm excited to try this out. It's a really cool experiment. But I was thinking more in terms of like traditional scoring with just an extra super flex spot, right? The potential to start three QBs. What would that do to fantasy football? What do you think, Sal? I mean, I'm all for uh, crazy experimentation when it comes to fantasy football. So, like, three team uh not a three team <laughs> that would be that'd be hilarious but yeah a 10 team three quarterback league i mean i feel like we could get away with an eight team four quarterback league 
I do imagine it would be complete and utter chaos, but I'm all for that uh, chaos, honestly. Um, that honestly might be like the greatest fantasy football league ever, other than the bad quarterbacks league we just finished. <laughs> like you honestly would have no lineup decision making at all. Like whatever four quarterbacks you draft, those would be the four quarterbacks you'd have to start, minus any injury or benching. Like in like a ten team three quarterback league or an eighteen eight team four quarterback league. I think um. <clears throat> just like the quarterback value would be insane and hard to judge. Like some people already have a hard time figuring out how to value quarterbacks in two quarterback or super flex leagues when it comes to trading. So I think like the more quarterbacks you're starting in your league format, the harder it's going to be, but I'm all for that. I'm all for trying to like figure out the puzzle and figure out where the jigsaw pieces go together when it comes to the figuring out like, what should I trade for this quarterback? If I have to start three of them every week, I just, just my mind is already racing thinking about it. I know for myself personally, I would have a lot of fun in those types of leagues. I'm just not sure how many other people <laughs> <laughs> would define fun the same way as me. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, though. I, I think if you really did break it down that deep to where basically all the starting quarterbacks were available you know, or had to be at least considered to start every week, you would still have some interesting super flex decisions where... Like, you talked about that Mitchell Trubisky game last year where he only threw seven passes. Or we can think about the Nathan Peterman game where he threw five picks in the first half against the Chargers. Like, you would still want to try to avoid those type of landmine games. And you would have to weigh that quarterback start versus a potential running back or wide receiver. And because in the draft, quarterbacks would be so valuable, they would be such high picks, you would end up with, like, a lot of value to be had at running back and wide receiver, I think. And I don't know. I think that'd be really fascinating. It's something that I'm probably going to try out next season when I have more time to think about how the league would look and how to plan it. But I think there's something there like a 10 team, like one quarterback, two super flex league. So effectively you could start three QBs. There's something there. Uh, You mentioned the bad quarterbacks league. I just need to talk about that. Like, explain the inception of that, and and then tell us about how your draft went, and, and you know whether or not you think you have a good team. Right. So I was listening to the um, All In pod. I think it's called All In podcast on the Ringer, Ringer Network, hosted by Cousin Sal. Oh, against all odds. Against all odds. Okay. All In. I guess I just see Denny saying All In on Twitter <laughs> all the time, and there's the All In wrestling pay per view coming. Denny is All In on All In. Right. Yeah, so uh, Against All Odds with Cousin Sal on the ringer, and they had Matthew Barry on as a guest for their um, fantasy episode, and they had uh, they brought up this league. It was called the Bad Quarterback League uh, that was on Grantland a few years ago, which is one of my like all-time favorite sites. So I went back, and like I vaguely remember the league, but I for- completely forgot about it until they mentioned it on the podcast. So I went up and looked at it, and it's basically... You, a fantasy draft where you want to draft like the worst scoring quarterback. So basically, let's say if in a normal fantasy league, a passing touchdown is worth six points. So in like this type of league, a passing touchdown would be worth negative six points, but an interception would be worth six points. And they had, I guess, someone doing scoring by hand because they also did scoring settings for like. Um, arrest or like blowing up at a press <laughs> conference or in-game benchings, which, you know, as awesome as my fantasy league is, they can't customize your league to feature those settings. Although I think 
being awarded for in-game benches would have been like the icing on the cake in our bed. Yeah, we <laughs> needed that. Yeah, and so thanks to you and helping me figure out the scoring settings because when I looked at the top performers of last year based on the scoring settings for this league, you're like, wait a minute, where's the Shoney Kaiser and his 22 interceptions? And we looked at it, and the rushing stat production was a cheat code even in a bad quarterback's league. So we had to take that out, and he actually ended up becoming the highest-scoring quarterback in this format. So basically, yeah, you just wanted to draft – Quarterbacks, I think, would perform horribly on the field to get you positive points. And we made it an 18-team league, start four quarterbacks, um, eight rounds. So you get four starters, four backups. Uh, the Grantland version did team quarterback, but I just thought it would be more diabolical to force everyone to draft backup quarterbacks. So to just play with the strategy, like would you draft someone else's handcuff quarterback? Would you stack your quarterback with the backup quarterback? And basically, the draft played out as I hoped. Like, looking at the draft board, and it's the greatest draft board I've ever seen in the <laughs> league before. I mean, we have quarterbacks like Brandon Whedon were drafted, uh, Drew Stanton, Joe Flacco was the first overall pick. Uh, um, you took Geno Smith in the, the last round. It's honestly, it's, it's just beautiful to look at. Yeah, I had a ton of fun with it, and I really... Gave, gave a shit when it came to like trying to figure out who was going to be the highest scoring guys because you don't just want quarterbacks or bet who are bad you want bad quarterbacks who are actually going to be on the field and mm-hmm. so my first two picks were Sam Darnold and Mitch Trubisky and I, I like Mitch Trubisky from like a regular fantasy perspective but I think that he's probably still going to be you know relatively mistake prone I like I definitely leaned more towards younger quarterbacks like in addition to Darnold and Trubisky I drafted Josh Rosen I drafted Mason Rudolph uh, but then I just went for some classics man Trevor Semyon, Blaine Gabbert, Geno Smith, Chad Henney and I and I tried to identify backups who were behind you know other quarterbacks who might be more prone to injury uh, like in Kirk Cousins case with Semyon like they're having a lot of offensive line problems in Minnesota right now so I figure hey maybe Cousins like I'm not rooting for this but maybe Cousins takes a bad hit and if Trevor Semyon has to get in there he was one of the highest scorers over the past two seasons in this format so I yeah it, it was this was a lot of fun to try to dissect and I can't wait to see how it plays out it's cool that it's best ball because you're always going to get you know, the worst QBs plugged into your lineup at the right time. So that's exciting. Um, yeah, I'm super excited that, that you put this together, Sal. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome, Greg. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's get into the, the basics here. Let's let's strip it back and let's talk about um, actual fantasy football, the stuff that people care about, the, the, the leagues that people are actually going to play, um, <laughs> at least until we can convince everybody to start playing bad QB leagues. Who is 2018's most overvalued quarterback? In standard scoring. Ooh, standard scoring. I mean, for me, the cop-out answer is always going to be Aaron Rodgers. Because he's usually the first quarterback drafted. I'm not quite sure what his ADP is in one quarterback leagues. I guess maybe like the fourth round. Um, but uh, I know like two quarterback leagues, you have to use a first or second round pick on him. And whether it's standard or two quarterback or super flex, there's no way I'm I'm going to be the person drafting the, the first quarterback in the league. That's The opportunity cost is just too great for me. Yeah, I like that. And it's one thing to look at. I mean, Deshaun Watson has been the overwhelming answer to this. And he's also a very high pick in most two quarterback leagues just because he's the QB2 in ADP. But I do think that Rodgers is still just as correct because he's the first guy that gets drafted and basically there's no reason to be the first person to take a quarterback because there are so many good ones we've talked about that already 
Who's 2018's most undervalued QB? All right, so even though I drafted Davis Webb with my second pick in the bad quarterbacks league, <laughs> my answer for this question is Eli Manning, which might also get me shunned from the community. <laughs> um, like, if we just go off of the 2QB ADP, um, 80, um, Eli Manning has an ADP of around, like, 130s, the 27th quarterback off the board, which means he's being drafted as a QB3. I remember, like, it was like three or four years ago where there was a, a debate where he was like a top 12 fantasy quarterback. And now he's barely being, well, he's, he's barely being drafted even in two quarterback leagues. And for me, the argument is the offense he plays in. Uh, Odell Beckham and Saquon Barkley are going in the first rounds. Evan Ingram is the fourth tight end off the board with an ADP of 73 overall, which means Eli Manning is playing in an offense where Three players are being picked within the first hundred picks of ADP. Um, I like I know based on his play last year, Eli Manning can be potentially considered washed. Uh, I know you and Josh Lake in the past have talked about like his up and down fantasy scoring over like the past couple of years. But I just think the circumstances in New York this season are just much better than last year. No. Odell Beckham is coming back from an injury. Uh, they got Saquon Barkley in the first round. They bolstered their offensive line, signing Nate Soldier and drafting Will Hernandez. They got rid of Ben McAdoo, replaced him with Pat Shermer, who has had success um, coordinating offenses with like lesser lesser known quarterbacks. We saw Casey Keenum last year became a top 15 fantasy quarterback. Um, he was there in Philadelphia when Nick Foles was a top 12 fantasy quarterback. So I just feel like based on his cost and the offense he's playing in that Eli Manning is in a prime spot to just like smash his ADP. Yeah, I think the Shermer point is probably the one that I makes me most worried about being down on Eli because I'm still relatively down on him. Like I, I don't really want to be drafting him. I, I think that you can make the argument that his weapons are good, but I don't. I think maybe his weapons are being overvalued in drafts. But anyway, like Pat Shermer being there, we saw what he did for Case Keenum last year, and we saw what Case Keenum looked like every season before last year. So there's something to Pat Shermer and the way that he coaches offense. I'm interested to see how that plays out I, because sometimes it takes a year before a coordinator can really get through to the guys on an offense. So we've heard that argument with Kyle Shanahan before how Matt Ryan has talked about how it didn't really click for him in year one of that offense, but in year two, it came together. So I'm wondering if that's going to work for Eli too, like if it's going to take him a little while to get acclimated, but we'll see. I, I think he's a little, I don't think, I do think he's undervalued just because all the cheap guys are undervalued, but we will see. Who's the toughest QB for you to evaluate right now, Sal? That's it's Deshaun Watson for me. I know we talked about the small sample size from last year. He only started six games. There's been the number of the, like the 9.3 touchdown rate percentage. Um, it even goes up if you remove the one game he came in to replace Tom Savage. It goes up to 9.9%, which is just astronomical, like, the sky literally is the ceiling for Deshaun Watson. But, I mean, we've all come to accept that there's no way he can repeat those numbers. Uh, he had no almost 1,600 passing yards, 18 touchdowns, 7 INTs, uh, 250 rushing yards, and two rushing touchdowns in those six starts, which averaged out to 27.2 points per game. And when I was going back through the yearly data, like – 
there's no one that really came close to that type of average. Like those are basically like Michael Vick and Madden numbers. I like personally, I like I hope Watson comes back and destroys those numbers, but I realize it's unrealistic to expect that type of high production. And he's going off as the fourth quarterback in two quarterback leagues. You mentioned how he's the overwhelming answer when you ask who is the most overvalued question. I just feel like there's no wiggle room with him in terms of a draft with his draft spot. So I kind of struggle with where to properly evaluate him in terms of cost and value. Like, I know I wouldn't use a high pick on him just because I'm scared that his ceiling isn't going to be as high as it was last year. But at the same time, I'm also like, well, I would love to just see him do it again. I just don't want to, I just don't want to put like a high draft pick on him. So that's why I feel he's, he's my personally toughest quarterback to evaluate. Right. And that's always one of the hardest things to do is to, not just say that a player is going to regress, but figure out how much that player is going to regress. Right. Scott Pianowski is a is a big champion of that kind of theory. It's not about regression. It's about how much regression. He's been on the podcast a couple of times and talked about that. I, I think that with Watson, it's tough because doing that at such a young age, doing that as a rookie when the expectations you know are pretty low, to be honest, is really, I mean, that proved that he was, better than we thought and it proved that he was good but how good we were not sure yet we just don't have the track record to see it whereas like a player like Marcus Mariota put together two good seasons to start his career with touchdown rates that were above league average and we thought oh maybe there's something here and then last year he totally tanks and goes down to a 2.9 touchdown rate and so the truth for him lies somewhere in the middle there's no middle ground with Deshaun Watson, and that's what makes him a tough evaluation. I think Evan Silva, if I'm not mistaken, had him also as the toughest eval. But yeah, it's 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 fascinating. He could end up being the QB four or the QB two based upon his upside. We just it, I, you can't draft him like that. I just don't think it's it's correct to do so because we haven't seen it in a stable way from him. And I know um, like some analysts like to say, well, what if we just like reduce his numbers by 10% to try and be more <laughs> conservative? But like I said, in six starts, his touchdown rate was 9.9%. So basically, he threw a touchdown on 10% of his throws. If we reduce that by 10%, I mean, that's still a 9% touchdown rate. Like, how much do we have to reduce his numbers to try and get a conservative number from Watson? Like 20%, 30%, 40%? Like, I just, it's so hard to figure out. Well, and then you have to ask, do I need to regress his interception percentage as well? Because he had almost a 4% interception rate last year as well. And that was really bad. Like, I think it was bottom three among guys who threw at least 200 passes. I think only Kaiser was worse and one other guy. I think it might have been Simeon. Is that a stable number? It probably isn't. Like, he should probably get better in that department. But what if he's just really that reckless with the ball? And that's what allowed him to throw, you know, a 9% touchdown rate. And maybe this shirt swings back the other way. He still throws a ton of picks, but, you know, because he's not hitting on the touchdowns as often, or, or I mean, maybe he throws more picks. Like, we have no clue. It's it's going to be fascinating. And the fact that their defense is better means that they're probably not going to have to throw as much in general. I, I'm I'm very, I, I'm out on Watson. I just, I don't, I don't think he's going to live up to the hype this season, but maybe we can rebuy him, you know, in the year following or the year after that, it, depending upon how things go. It'll be, it'll be interesting. Where yeah. the, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I took him in the bad quarterbacks league. Well, you sniped him from me. I mean, <laughs> my, our, my buddy, Jeff Dumont, a uh, guy who's written at two QBs before, he's been on the pod as well. He was he was tweeting at me talking about, you know, yeah, 
P.S. Deshaun Watson had a super high interception. I'm like, shut up. I know. I want to draft him here. <laughs> like, give me a break. And I, I don't know. I, I assume that you follow him too and, and saw those tweets. So, but I mean, not to say that you weren't going to draft him there anyway. I mean, I think everybody knows that Watson had a high interception rate last year, at least the people we were drafting with. But yeah, great pick, Sal. I'm, I'm jealous. Tell me about where you jump in when you're drafting quarterbacks. And we don't have to talk about one QB because we know you're just waiting until Alex Smith is, you know, at the top of your queue. How about in two quarterback leagues? I know that you have been the champion of not only late round quarterback drafting, but also a stud and streaming drafting approach. And I know that you can appreciate getting two elite quarterbacks at the top of a draft just because you've been playing these formats for so long. What's your like standard approach, or what do you find yourself doing the most these days when it comes to two QB drafting? Yeah, so as usual, I want to try and get one top twelve quarterbacks. Most of the leagues I play in are like twelve team, two quarterback leagues. So I want to get one of the top twelve quarterbacks. So the QB one tier, basically, I want to come away with one of those guys. I mean, if the price is right, I don't mind coming away with a couple of them. But uh, this year, I find myself with a lot of Matthew Stafford. Uh, he's currently the QB nine with a sixty four point three ADP. I did one of those um, perfect draft recap articles on 444 where they use this uh, software called Draft Analyzer to help you as you pick along with your draft. And I did a 10-team, two-quarterback, half-point PPR. And I, was, I got Matthew Stafford. I drafted first overall, and I got Matthew Stafford in the fifth round. So nice, if I can come over nice. here with someone like a Stafford or, I mean, Andrew Luck, his ADP is creeping up now compared to the earlier months, uh, but he's just like, right there in Stafford's range, like a Kirk Cousins. Um, I'm even okay with a Jimmy Garoppolo. But basically I want to come away with one of the top QB1s. And then and usually like around round five to six is where I feel like the drop-off is in my in terms of my tiers. And then after that, um, because I wait so long to grab my QB1, I don't want to wait too long to grab my QB2 and QB3 slots because usually the plan is to stream that position. So around like round 7 to 10, somewhere in that range is when I'll target my second and third quarterbacks. And sometimes I don't have to grab like two guys right away for a streaming potential. Like that's my that's one of my plans, my goals. I'm always going to be flexible during my draft. So if, like, a decent quarterback two falls my way, I can wait even longer to grab my QB3, just like a bi-week fill-in. So that's kind of how I'm attacking the drafts this year. I like it. Is there a quarterback you wish you could be drafting more often, like a guy who you like and is going at a pretty fair price, but you feel like you just keep missing out just barely? Yeah, it's Alex Smith. Nobody <laughs> lets me draft him anymore. Like, yeah, everybody knows. Every league I'm in, he's just he goes before I, I want to draft him. Like in the the Scott Fishbowl, I believe his ADP was like in round six, and I'm just like, where the hell did this come from? <laughs> Recency bias, man. That's it. <laughs> what, what quarterback do you find yourself drafting the most often this season? Um, no offense to my beloved Alex, but it's Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> he just seems to be on the board when I'm really thinking about taking a quarterback. Nice. And uh, we're running out of time here. Do you have anything else you want to share with the listeners about quarterback strategy before we go? I feel like I would just be repeating a lot of what most people on this series have said. But for me, just don't 
be afraid to wait on quarterbacks in two quarterback or super flex leagues, especially if you're new to the format. Like I know the the gut instinct is draft quarterbacks early because you're starting more of them, but the position is deep enough that you can wait and play a game of chicken. Like the rest of your roster will thank you if you don't draft two quarterbacks within your first four picks. I mean, that's my point of view. I was listening, like I mentioned, to the Chris Allen version of this podcast series earlier today, and he did a he made a really great point about. Um, not waiting at the expense of value, which I thought yeah. who, if you're listening to this podcast, make sure you go and listen to Chris's podcast and answer this question. Cause I thought is he answered it beautifully. Yep. And that's been my key approach this year when I'm doing two QB drafts is I'm trying to be more open to taking quarterbacks earlier than I normally would. And I like the way my rosters turn out when I do it. Like when I take Drew Brees in the fourth or Andrew Luck in the fifth or the sixth, I like that I'm getting that potentially elite guy without sacrificing an elite running back or wide receiver with one of my top three picks. And you can do that this year because those guys are undervalued. The trick is to not overreact to runs and to not get caught up in that fear of missing out at quarterback and, you know, overspending at the position. You still have to find value. You have to find guys who are going later than they should. And I will admit that that's kind of a feel thing to some extent. Like that's something that I, I feel adept at doing because I've been playing two quarterback for a long time, but keep drafting, keep trying it. That's the whole point is you have to try to wait. You have to see how it plays out because you might be surprised at, you know, how your teams look after you wait at quarterback and how okay you might end up being with a player like Blake Bortles or Eli Manning on your roster when it doesn't look sexy when you look at your roster, but at the end of the year, when you see how many startable weeks they gave you, you're going to be patting yourself on the back. Sal, last thing before we go, say something nice about this episode's other guest. You alluded to him earlier, Mr. Rich Rebar. Yeah, I mean, Rich Rebar, he's, he is the smartest fantasy analyst out there, perhaps tied with J.J. Zacharies. And the way the two of them uh, just come at this game is just, uh, I'm in awe of, of the two of them. Like, the amount of fantasy knowledge that is in Rich's brain scares me. Um, I'll say this in a nice way. He's the Raymond Babbitt of fantasy football. <laughs> Um, he's also a super nice guy. I've got to hang out with him a couple times in real life. I'm honored to call him a friend. But like when you look at the pantheon of fantasy analysts, like Evan Silva's there, uh, JJ's there, but Rich is right up there with them. Absolutely. He's on the Mount Rushmore. Let's get to Sal's Fantasy Rain Man right now. And now I'd like to welcome in Rich Rebar of rotoworld.com. Rich, welcome back to the show, man. How you doing? Good, real good, Greg. It's great to talk to you guys again and the the QB the two QB world. You know, it should be a, a an ever expanding world, but still isn't expanding at the rapid rate we want it to be. Yeah, I feel like we're getting there though. It's slow but steady progress. I, I feel like this season we've seen more growth at the site. We've seen more people asking us questions, talking about it, and and just more people outside of you know the two QBs dot com bubble jumping into the the two quarterback you know, conversation at the very least. Um, we're starting to see it come up a little bit more. I think I think we're on, on track. We'll, we'll get there. Yeah, I haven't gotten any of my home leagues to make the jump. The the, the casual Gen Pop user uh, <laughs> still, still is fighting against the grain here. Yeah, I hear you. Well, um, let's talk QBs, man. What is the biggest quarterback evaluation takeaway that you've gained through your work at Roto World and maybe through your previous stops in the fantasy industry too? Yeah, I think it's just... You know, uh, really just coming to take a real big grasp on the top-down view that just the replaceability of the position is really backed by the replicability of the position. You know, those two words kind of kind of spell out the same, but mean, some, mean something a little different, but they have some harmony. You know, and what I mean by that is that just 
there are just so many quarterbacks putting up points on a weekly basis, and it's so linear that you know that it's just such an abundance um, of, of points to be had. You know, especially when you look at it from like a one QB angle. I know that there's this is why you guys have this show, and this is why you know you um, you have branched out to targeting this audience. But I mean, the quarterback position stays above all the other positions in terms of producing multiple starting caliber weeks um, over all the other all the other positions until you get to like the eight eight plus game level and that's still only when you're getting just a few elite running backs and like a few elite receivers um, even last year we had uh, 16 different quarterbacks produce a QB one week last season that's taking out week 17 um, and on average seven quarterbacks per year uh, have eight plus eight plus such games a year so I mean you're, you're talking about like a regular 10 to 12 team league with that plays only one quarterback I mean Half of your league is uprooting like guys that they're just going to keep in their lineup all the time. You know, it's, it's that's not fun. That's not, not a fun way to play fantasy football. And if you look at like uh, the top of the position, you know, anymore, um, you know, compared to the tight end position, is the other onesie position. You know, in in fantasy, the quarterbacks just have just such an abundance of guys that that produce over the baseline. You know, in a given week of a season, you know, compared to like a tight end where you think you get an advantage if you're having Gronk or Kelsey or Zach Ertz. But you know, guys like Aaron Rodgers and you know Tom Brady, they're just not providing the statistical edge that they that they will. You know, in a one quarterback league, you know that, that's why that's why I said you guys have have branched out and, and made this your target audience. But I mean, if you look at even the top of the position where you think you're getting advantage in a two QB league, um, even those guys, we, we haven't been able to really pinpoint those guys. You know, over the past five mm-hmm. years, we've only had five. We've only had five quarterbacks have multiple seasons of double digit starting weeks, caliber weeks in a given year. And not one quarterback has done that in back to back seasons. And no one in that group has done it for more than two seasons over the five years. So, I mean, we we can't even just say you know get Aaron Rodgers, get Tom Brady, and you've got an advantage even in TQB league because finding those guys hasn't been as easy as it's been said you know uh, across the community. Or you brought up that stat of of how many guys have produced at that top you know QB one level, and the key is that it's not always the guys that we draft at the top, and that's something that a lot of people don't understand. It's like well you know Aaron Rodgers is always good. It's like yeah Aaron Rodgers usually is good, but you know he's been hurt enough times and we also see these guys come up from the bottom of the QB ranks whether it was Matt Ryan a couple years ago, Alex Smith last year, Jared Goff last year. Like these guys can come up, you know, from the bottom ranks and that's something that that listeners need to uh you know be mindful of. Now, you mentioned the the other ones you position tight end and I kind of want to pick your brain on that what's your approach to tight end are you willing to target those elite guys like Gronk and Kelsey and maybe Zach Ertz or do you tend to wait and try to find value with like uh, you know the touchdown bingo guys later in drafts yeah Gronk's really I think Gronk's the only guy you can kind of sell yourself a, a story on just based on the amount of just high scoring weeks he has, you know, compared to the other players in the position. And Kelsey's a guy that started to put a couple of those together, but I mean, there's we don't know where the floor lies with Kelsey now with the the switch to Patrick Mahomes, and then Kelsey also coming off of a really unique year for himself. I mean, he had more catches, yards, and touchdowns on downfield targets than he had over his entire career combined last year. So I mean, we we kind of need to see where this Chiefs offense goes a little bit. I mean, he's tough because he goes really right after Gronk and. I believe Kelsey's an elite talent, and I'm so more than happy to own my shares in Dynasty. But in redraft, he goes a little higher than I'm I'm willing to take on. But then, other than that, then I'm waiting. I mean, it's to me, it's it's a gap. 
Um, and then I want to look at maybe if I'm going to wait, just similar to quarter acquisition, where I want to just see where maybe my target of the tight end ones go and keep them on them. For me, that guy this year, um, even though now he's starting to, he, he's got a little foot injury, even though he looks like he's going to be okay. I've been waiting to see, like just sticking a pin in where Delaney Walker goes in like the draft. And if he still goes higher than I'm willing to go, then I just move down my next guy on the list, which is typically Trey Burton. And then after that, then I'm like more looking to, to stream or, or just get a guy to float me through the beginning of the season, whether it be like a Ben Watson or something, and just see where the position lies out and shakes up because that's a snow globe position in itself. Uh, but yeah, quarterback is is another one of those like we talked about the earlier. We talked about not even just the replicability of guys producing QB one tolerant weeks, but just the gain you get in replaceability, which we didn't really touch on either. I mean, in terms of gaining weekly advantage, the highest scoring quarterback has the lowest rate of gain on the baseline of his position. I mean, you talk about like the weekly QB twelve is scoring fifty four percent of what the QB one scores on average over the past five years. The QB eighteen is scoring forty two point four percent of that top score. Those are gaps that are still well above all the other positions. And you look at the baselines of the positions. So I mean, it's just one of those positions that you know we, we've just got so many producers at the position that when you compare it to a position like tight end. You know, it's it's one of those things where you just have an abundance of fruit to pick off the tree, whereas, you know, tight end, it's it's just like you're kicking rocks. These guys aren't good. They're not good producers to begin with. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's really what it comes down to is week to week, you're you're just increasing your variance at the tight end position, and you can play into that as a fantasy drafter. You don't have to pay up for the position because everybody's going to be kind of, like you say, kicking rocks and, and trying to fight through just how frustrating that position can be. I want to go back a little bit further, and we, we've talked about general quarterback evaluation takeaways, but what was one of your kind of first epiphanies or aha moments related to fantasy football strategy? It doesn't have to be QB related, but kind of going back to maybe your beginnings as a fantasy analyst, like what was one of the first things you remember clicking for yourself? Oh, man. Ooh. Uh <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, I don't, I can't really think of anything off the top of my head, just like like pinpoint, just like in general, just... I mean, just not really playing to, you know, trying to win the draft is stuff that I've been like honing in on for the past couple of weeks and reminding people that you don't have to necessarily like draft players because you're trying to leave your draft with a balanced team. I mean, you're going to have holes in your team naturally on your roster. You're going to be lucky to skate through a fantasy season with, you know, 50, 60 percent of your roster based on just just bricking binary player eval picks injuries just guys that tank aren't as good or not as good a performance as we thought you know a lot of times people will get in the draft and they'll really say i need a i really need rb3 on this team but like the rb3 options are just kind of crummy mm-hmm. um when you can just keep drafting you know good players it's fine like you don't have to enter the draft with uh you know a full allotment of rosters or a balanced roster so to speak you can keep building up strengths because this isn't going to be a roster at the end of the season and if usually typically if you try to build a balanced roster in fantasy you're just leaving more surface area for more holes to go into the boat and get leaky so i mean you don't have to force your way through through drafts i think it's a time this is the time of year people forget about that you know everyone wants to air quotes win their draft or be the guys man i really like your team after the draft i mean but think about any time we've ever looked at things in hindsight i mean even the best the guys that win your league you go back and look at a draft you're like man this draft wasn't good you know it was like you know a couple picks hit hit here and there but uh, overall the draft the draft really wasn't that great and people lose focus on that because for six months all we've been focusing on is getting to this one moment and you know you kind of feel when you get in that moment you have to you have to close the door on everything you plan but 
there's so much more so much more work that goes into creating a, a good fantasy team over the season that you know you don't want to always chase just being balanced and you know forcing the issue on on draft picks uh, at a certain portion of your draft because you feel like you need that position is there a particular position or type of player that you kind of steer into when it comes to maybe uh, almost like building those holes into your roster, like where you're more willing to take on risk and have a hole? Like it, I, I know that, you know, zero RB kind of does that inherently with the running back position. Um, do, you, do you have like a, a traditional blind spot when it comes to drafting where you're like, if this doesn't work out, no big deal. I'll figure it out in season. Yeah, I mean, usually it typically ends up being that RB2 spot. I mean, I'm someone that doesn't, I don't really generally often go full zero RB. I will, I will do like a modified approach, the pseudo zero RB, which also can leave you in a, in a bind because if you brick that RB1 pick, then you're, then you're chasing both spots. But I mean, I, I kind of do that, but I don't mind chasing some of the running back positions. I tend to play in a lot of PPR formats though. I mean, I kind of was going through all my leagues and was looking and like, man, I really play a lot of full PPR, which really gives you an open window to chase some of those really guys that aren't just valuable in your typical standard leagues or even half PPR leagues. So you're never going to run into a James White or pick up a Tariq Cohen week one off of waivers in a standard league because there's not going to be viable commodities. But in a lot of these other leagues, you can plug those guys in and and get double-digit points and you know kind of kind of hedge hedge a little bit of uh what your opponents are doing with the best running backs but yeah the, in a typical standard league it's it's a lot tougher to do um you try and just flip the script and think like wide receiver 3 we'll we'll, we'll shuffle in wide receivers and be fine uh more more on that level and i think the onesie positions factor into that too in a traditional one quarterback league too right like quarterback and tight end oh, you're, yeah, you're definitely willing natural. to stream those in the first place so you can kind of uh you know take your time with those not really worry about them so much in the draft I want to talk a little bit more about in season because, you know, week one is rapidly approaching here and your weekly worksheet, you know, uh, you know, week to week is an essential read. What do you think is the biggest misconception in analyzing week to week matchups specifically for quarterbacks and how can fantasy owners better manage the QB position during the season, do you think? Oh, well, that one, yeah. So I guess that it's not like an, a draft epiphany, but one of the first things that I uncovered was just, you know, the, the, the implica- implication that negative, chasing negative game scripts and like raw volume for quarterbacks was like something you wanted to do. You know, you always would hear, uh, during your draft, like when someone takes guys, like, oh, they're going to be losing all the time. It's, you know, it's going to be great. This, we're going to get your fantasy points, but like team success naturally breeds efficiency on the quarterback level. I mean, if you look at, and then, and, and inversely for on the for teams that lose or consistently trailing, we talk about those QB one caliber weeks. So I mean, over the past six seasons, only thirty nine point eight percent of QB one weeks have come from underdogs. Period. I mean, and only eight point six percent of those games have come from teams that are getting a touchdown or more. You know, those are the games that people say that we're going to chase all this volume. They're going to be throwing. We're going to get this junk script. Basically, yeah. One of the the biggest things I learned is that garbage team garbage time is uh, largely a fallacy. I mean, you'll run into a couple scenarios where you'll have that that 2015 uh, Blake Bortles, you know, mm-hmm. year. Or, and you, you will. You'll run into one of those, and that, that'll stick out. But the reason they stick up is because stick out is because they actually are outliers. Think about all the other guys that were on bad teams that year that, that also were terrible. You know, I always refer to it as on-script offense. Like, you want teams to be on-script um, uh, because when teams don't know what you're doing, uh, you're going to be more effective than when you just have to throw at the end of games and teams are willing to trade yardage for clock and, you know, inefficiency, inefficiency stats, you know, for fantasy. 
Um, you know, you want to just chase those uh, those guys attached to good teams, good game scripts that given week, um, because those are the those are the games that are going to lead you to the the big efficiency games that are going to get you those touchdown spike weeks uh, and, and roll over. So I mean, yeah, definitely the 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 fallacy of chasing garbage time for quarterbacks for sure. Yeah, that can definitely be an overvalued you know type of narrative to chase for sure, because typically the guys who are playing from behind are. <laughs> the defense knows what they're doing, right? And they're going to throw more interceptions. They're going to be more predictable on offense, which is never a good thing in the NFL. And they and they typically they're behind because they've been playing bad too. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That also yeah, that, that's a great point. Um, so in terms of you know overvaluing stuff, who do you think is 2018's most overvalued quarterback for uh, for draft purposes at least? I mean, it's tough not to say Deshaun Watson. I know that you wanted probably some sexy answer, but it's just I mean, going into the QB two is off a six-game sample is pretty crazy. I mean, he threw a touchdown once every 10.7 passes last year. I mean, only 2004 Peyton Manning was better uh, in NFL history for players that have thrown over 100 uh, pass attempts in a season. And you look at over the past 30 NFL seasons, we've had 25 quarterbacks to throw a touchdown on over 7% of their passes. The average loss on that rate the following season is minus 2.8%. Average total loss of touchdown passes, minus 11.3 total passing touchdowns year over year. Um, you look at Deshaun Watson, I mean, he, he reminds me, a lot of people have compared him to RG3's rookie year, but I think he actually lines up a lot more similarly to that 2013 Nick Foles season, like when Nick Foles threw the 27 touchdowns and two picks. And, you know, Watson's sample was really only 100 pass attempts smaller, but it, they're very eerily, uh, you know, very similar. But, I mean, the QB2 is it's, it's a lot to ask, you know, for where he goes in drafts. It's just really hard to say that he's not being overvalued. He's only played six NFL games. Yeah, well, and especially when QB2 is inherently... It doesn't matter what player is there, right? It could be Tom Brady, it could be Drew Brees or Cam Newton or whatever. Like, whoever is being drafted there is being overdrafted because quarterbacks aren't that valuable. Like, there's no reason to be the first guy to take a quarterback in your league or the second guy to take a quarterback in your league because the position is so deep, because of that flat scoring profile you talked about earlier. The other thing that's fascinating to me about Watson kind of being the the consensus answer, or at least the the majority answer that I've had when I've asked that question, is the fact that it seems in general with other QBs, people are being pretty smart about factoring in regression. Like Jared Goff, Alex mm-hmm. Smith, those guys are still being drafted you know, outside the top 12 at the position. Whereas for whatever reason, we all just have this blind spot for Watson because he was so electric last year. And that's, I don't know, that's that's poisonous when it comes to your draft strategy. you got to avoid that. Who do you think is 2018's most undervalued QB? It's tough. There's a lot of guys that I think fit this bill. Um, I think in totality, the guy I'm probably still most excited about from wire to wire, um, and not just because I'm on this show, is still Alex Smith. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> I know that Alex Smith is kind of the the mascot, the QQB mascot. So, But, I mean, I don't want to steer into just my audience here. I think that there's actually a lot of – a lot that points to Alex Smith being. You, I would. I did two drafts this weekend where he wasn't even drafted. Unbelievable. Uh, you know, in one quarterback leagues, which is pretty crazy because you can start the year with him easily um, as your quarterback. Um, you know, he was a QB four last year. I don't think. I think if you're expecting that, you'll probably be disappointed. Like you said, factoring in that regression. Um, but I mean, he, he's got n- not as binary one for one talent that he has at the top. He doesn't have a Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, but what he has in Washington still is really viable and really a lot better than what he had every year outside of his career except for last year um, as, as on a team level. I mean, they've got a team that now faces – they face the number three rushing schedule per Warren Sharp and the number 20 passing schedule. It's a team that's set up to throw the ball 
a lot. They can throw it effectively. I mean, he's got Jameson Crowder in a slot. They've got Vernon Davis and Jordan Reed. Uh, they've got, you know, Josh, Josh Doxson and Paul Richardson, two guys that are like 50, 50 ball guys. Um, I just think that he's super undervalued for him to like not, not going undrafted or, or being, you know, the QB, you know, 16 to 18 range. I mean, you can get a lot of juice still on Alex Smith. So if you had to, I don't know if you rank quarterbacks, but if you had to rank him, would you rank him higher than that 16 to 18 range? Because this is something I've struggled with, honestly. Like, I look at what he did before last season, and he was kind of just a replacement-level guy, and that's what we love yeah. about him at 2QBs is that he was safe, he didn't turn the ball mm-hmm. over, he rushed the ball a lot for, you know, or at least a sneaky amount. Like, But I don't know if it's fair to expect even like a QB 12 you know, baseline expectation like where do you fall on him relative to other qbs because the thing we like about him is that we can draft him later but how high are you willing to actually take him yeah i mean i'm i'm willing to take him fairly high i mean like i said he went on drafting two leagues i was in so i didn't take him i mean in those leagues i i actually took uh marcus Mariota over him because i just like his week one matchup more mm-hmm. uh whereas you know Mariota against the dolphins uh was something that was uh intriguing to me and the other the other one was uh, Kirk Cousins was a guy that slipped and I ended up getting him in a spot you know where I was willing to take the the plunge there so I mean I'm I'm never taking two quarterbacks so at that point but I actually have Alex Smith uh, in rankings I have met QB 13 I'm right um, right above Matt Ryan. Uh, right now so I mean it's you get a lot of that Konami factor built in there whereas Ryan's gonna pass for more yards and I'm gonna throw more touchdowns especially off of him he's one of those guys we talked about being underrated too I think that Uh whole group of Smith Mariota Ryan um the bounce back guys it would have been Winston if Winston wasn't suspended I mean Winston's a whole different topic of himself I mean because from your neck of the woods and from from our neck of the woods compared to your neck of the woods in the 2QB land I mean He's a he's kind of a, a sneaky supreme value in he's QB a leagues, yeah. Whereas in QB one leagues, he's kind of a hands off guy because you've got you can't use him for three weeks. Then he's got a week five bye, so you've got five weeks where you're going to get one game out of him, you know. And then he eats, so he's eating a roster spot for the at the hottest time where waivers are just burning the brightest. So it's really hard to hold him in a one QB league and sneak through. But in a two QB league where you can you can really throw a bridge to him, uh, a Tyrod Taylor or a Sam Bradford, someone that you can get typically lower, just to bridge you to Winston because Winston I think has legit QB one upside in totality. I mean, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't, don't disagree with that. But I mean, he's quietly made strides across the board uh, every year in his career. His completion rate, his yards per game, all all rose for three straight years. I mean, he had seven point nine yards per attempt last year i also think that the the buccaneers are set up to be like the new version of the detroit lions for fantasy where they they're just going to throw like 650 times i know we talked about not completely just tying to, to chasing volume but like this is a team that can't run the football they're not really built to run the football they're probably not going to be winning a lot of games and they've got just a lot of talent uh in the passing game i mean there were there there are three wide receivers evans jackson godwin are are one of the the best like one through threes that you can find. They've got two really good pass catching tight ends in Brayton and OJ Howard. It's just really set up well for Winston to come in and be a guy that flirts with like 300 yard passing, like the like, kind of like how Stafford was, you know, in those early Lions years. That's kind of what I think, how I think about what this Bucks team is going to be. And like, that's how you would, you would kind of like point chase with Stafford a little bit. Like I said, I don't want to completely contradict the, the point I said earlier about just chasing negative game scripts, but I think Winston's going to be one of those guys that's going to be an exception just based on how the team is built in in general. 
Well, yeah, and we've seen that before, too, with, I mean, and this is a player of a higher caliber, but Drew Brees was that guy for a long time, where because the Saints defense was so bad and because he was so good, the the two things kind of congealed into into a, a situation that was actually exploitable, where the passing offense was good enough to kind of make up for the fact that the defense was bad. You knew the Saints were going to pass, but it didn't matter because Drew Brees was so good. Now, I don't know if we're going to get that necessarily with Winston, but I agree that he's a really nice bargain right now, especially in two-quarterback because people are overvaluing that uh, that suspension that he has. I drafted him as my QB3 behind Roethlisberger and Matt Ryan in, in a home league last week, and I, I couldn't be happier about that because, you know, come week four or week five, whenever he's back, I can't, I can't remember if it's three or four games he's suspended, but when he's back, then I have, you know, three legit, you know, QB1 options to stream through or to kind of play matchups with each week, and I don't mind, you know, taking the hit in those first couple weeks and just relying on Roethlisberger and Ryan because those guys are, you know, steady enough, you know, and trustable enough on their own. So I, I think there's a lot of value there. That's a good point. Um, who's the toughest quarterback for you to evaluate right now? I mean, I think it's, I think it's still Watson. I mean, because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, well, because, I mean, from an analyst angle, because we're talking about, like, it's easy just to say he's the QB2, he's due regression, like, he'll, we'll never own him. So just, he's an avoid. But as actual fantasy analysts, like, we still have to try to properly evaluate him. Yep. So where, where do we, where do we value Deshaun Watson? Where, where is, where can, in a draft, if he falls, is a, is a spot that you're willing to say, yeah, I'm going to make a play on him, and especially in two quarterback leagues, you know, I mean, because this is a guy that even, he, he he's got, a little bit of the Konami, the rushing juice. He had 5.6 rushing points per game last year. It only was buying Cam Newton. You know, he, he has torn each ACL once now, but I mean, typically coming off of just a solo ACL doesn't really have an impact. Um, it's been a recoverable injury. So it's been two different legs. Hasn't been the same one. Um, and then they also, I mean, like we talked about, I brought up Warren Sharp. He's probably one of the best strength of schedule guys that we have going on. They've got, he's got the Houston Texans with the lightest schedule in the NFL. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those things like where where is the regression going to fall? Where does it where does the floor fall? Cause we don't really know where his floor is. He was he was on such a, a cloud nine last year that we don't really know where to really properly slot him in. You know, are we just going to move him down to like say like if he's around QB eight, QB nine, we want to take a bite, or is he just someone that we need to fall lower than that because we don't know where the floor is? So I mean, he's a guy that just. The range of outcomes is something we still just totally don't know. We know where the ceiling can go, but the range of outcomes, uh, we don't know. And like I said, he still has the rushing and the schedule uh, benefactors on his side, too. So it's going to be really, really curious to see where it plays out and where he actually ends up slotting in when the dust settles at the end of the season. So where are you ranking him right now? I have him at QB7, kind of behind that top tier of guys. Um, I have him at QB6 right now. Okay. Pull him up because you asked me for the Alex Smith ranking. Yeah, I'm at QB six right now. Um, yeah, kind of have the big five. I think the bit, the top five are probably universally the same for everyone. I'm guessing it's Rodgers, Brady, Breeze, Newton, Wilson, pretty much for for everyone. And then you kind of get your regression guys involved. Um, I mean, I'm still high on Cousins. You've got your safety guys like Stafford. It's just like ultra reliable. He's thrown for four thousand yards uh, seven years in a row. Roethlisberger, you almost always have to add like replacement value level games if you're going to take one or two of those per, per season. But he's a guy that's just ultra productive. But then you've got a lot of unknown ceiling guys. We've got Luck. We don't know where Luck's floor is going to lie this year. We've got Wentz. We know he's kind of in the similar bucket as Deshaun Watson as far as TD rate goes. The other, the weird thing about Wentz is that he had that ultra high TD rate, but like kind of was just wishy washy and everywhere else, like yards per attempt yep. and completion percentage. He really wasn't that hot in. He just threw a bunch of TDs. 
Um, not that he was bad in those categories, but he wasn't amongst the elite, like where Watson was throwing for just crazy yards per attempt, you know, and, and, and running all over the field. You know, Wentz was a guy that had a, a, a really lofty TD rate attached to just some all right, you know, efficiency stats. So you've brought up Cousins a couple times, and I want to get your take on him and specifically related to his offensive line. They, they're they really struggling with health at this point. Is that a concern to you? Has that bumped him down in your evaluation? What are you doing with Cousins as his O-line falls apart in front of him? I mean, he's a guy that's had a bad offensive line in Washington, too. Not a great one. I mean, probably not as bad as when he's in Minnesota, but I mean, he's, he's rolled off, you know, QB9, QB5, QB6 over the past three years. He did the back half of last year kind of kind of really wasn't amongst those those top quarterbacks. But can we really blame his offensive line or is it just because like Washington everyone died during the season? You know, not even outside of outside of his offensive line. I mean, he was at the last at the end of last season, they, he had nothing. Chris Thompson was hurt, you know, Jordan Reed was hurt, the offensive line we said was hurt. They he had no wide receivers. Really, we basically had a rookie season from Josh Doxing. He only played 30 snaps the year before, and like a banged up Jameson Crowder was like all he had to throw to at the end of last season. So I mean, it's hard to really say to blame to blame just the offensive line for that, and, and say that's why he he took a nosedive from that Washington offensive line, got even more injured. Um, I just look at the the pass catchers, man. The surrounding talent's just too good, I think. And especially when we talk about the, the favorable game scripts that they're going to have too. He's just going to be put in a, 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 a spot to succeed uh, from this team, from the Vikings defense, Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen, Kyle Rudolph. They've got backs that are effective. It's just one of those things where I just I think it's hard for me to find like an avenue where like he really falls on his face. Nice. Yeah, I, I have a little bit of concern as well about Pat Shermer leaving and, you know, kind of what he did for Case Keenum last season versus, you know, what, I mean, kind of that Matt Ryan effect with Steve Sarkeesian last year. I'm worried that maybe new offense, new scene for Cousins in Minnesota could be, you know, dragged down his value a little bit, but I'm with you. I, I think like the talent is there, you know, he him being talented himself, but also the receivers that uh, we can kind of look past some of those warts and, and at least expect like a decent season, if not a good season. Um, and you mentioned how you drafted him in, in one of your leagues recently. Is he the guy you're drafting the most often or is it a different quarterback? Um, he's kind of one of the guys I look for, like that QB one tier. So like I'm the same way, like we talk about tight end. Like, so I always have a guy that I kind of want to monitor. The two guys I monitor the most out of the locked in QB ones that are basically always going to get drafted as a QB one are Breeze and him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because Breeze will slide too. You know, a lot of people have last year have that, you know, that, that crawl, you know, that from what he just did, you know, I had Breeze last year and he wasn't that good. I won a lot of games because, you know, you get that in your leagues and he'll slide down, you know, maybe QB nine sometimes will go over him you know guy we talk about the quarterbacks the list above and you know you'll have like Wentz go over him and those guys and Breeze will Breeze will slip through so I do kind of keep an eye on just where Breeze goes I also have the benefit the benefit of playing in a lot of leagues with a lot of people that you guys all follow on Twitter um that's a plus and a minus but it's definitely a plus for the QBs because in your typical you know Gen Pop or a one QB home league I mean I'll have to get typically get a guy like Mariota or an Alex Smith or a Blake Bortles to start the year because I'm just not investing in the quarterback position at a certain point. You know, I'm just not going to unless like really something bonkers happens. Uh, but in these industry leagues with all these guys, everyone's waiting on quarterback. You know, I just did that Apex draft that was Evan publicly broke down on the the website, and it's not like your home league. I mean, the, the only people that do get drafted are the QB ones, so everyone gets one. 
you know, cause you know, everyone's taken two. So, I mean, you kind of just are able to get like your favorite QB one out of the group, uh, whether it be, you know, Ben, if you're, if you're actually waiting, waiting on quarterback means getting a QB nine through QB 12, you know? Yep. <laughs> so, so that's kind of, I, I do get to play in a lot of those leagues where I just by default end up with a good quarterback because no one's taking two quarterbacks, uh, in a typical, in a lot of these leagues. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's, it's just one of those things, yeah, where um, I'm looking at, like, typically in a, in a Gen Pop home league, like, Cousins is the guy. Breeze, Cousins, and then I'm looking at my favorite streamers, which are, like, Mariota against the Dolphins week one. If you're trying to get multiple weeks, I think that Bortles is a guy that still slept on. I mean, he gets the Giants, New England, Tennessee, the Jets. Uh, the Chiefs is opening five. He might be a guy to really bridge you the opening year. Tyrod's always there at the end. He's just one of those guys that's ultra reliable because of his legs. Like the Alex Smith corollary, you always know what you're going to get. Um, those are the guys that I was like basically looking if I have to, you know, if I have to play any of those guys. Dalton against the Colts is another one that is on the list. Just look to, look to find a matchup you like to start the season. And then when week two comes around, you'll deal with that when you get there. Yeah, so in two quarterback leagues, I don't know if you're drafting many of those. I mean, that has to change your strategy, though, right? You can't necessarily just look for a good week one. Maybe Bortles still mm-hmm. works because he has a good few games to open the season. But when you're drafting in that type of format, are you looking like further down into the schedule? Or is that just overthinking it? Because we don't really know what's going to happen during the first few weeks. I do get to play a lot of those too. I played a lot of super flex, but they happen to be dynasty. So I haven't done uh, the only drafts I've I've done. I've done several outside of SFB. I've done I think four that have been two QBs, and and three of the four I've picked near the turn. So my strat your strategy changes a little bit when you're on the turn in two yeah. QB leagues because you can't miss a wave or if you do miss a wave like you're really chasing at that point so a lot of the times i force the the issue usually in the third round i still won't take a quarterback one two but um typically in that third round or going into the fourth round i'll take my first quarterback at that point um and try to get on like the middle wave and you typically do get a guy in the middle tier like um a cousins like we mentioned or ben like one of those guys in that area and then you can come back and take them with like a high qb2 um in the five six turn and then those are usually typically the two quarterbacks i get um at that point i've had i've had i've just been had a lot of spots in my two qb leagues just towards the end i think all but one so i haven't really had the luxury to to toe the line and go you know see how close i can fly to the sun of waiting on the position as long as i wait because you know you want to beat that run and have some tangible production there um and not just have the the streamer types be your quarterbacks a stable streamers because it's a lot harder to do um, to get to one, get those matchups right. Even when it when we have all the mm-hmm. all the signs that point to identifying these matchups, we're still talking about playing players that don't always hit the elevation marks that you would that would come along with those types of matchups. So I mean, it, you, you start skating on thin ice a little bit. You you can get by and do it, especially if you run into a guy like you said over the past couple of years. If you run into the Alex Smith. If you run into the Matt Ryan, you're in great shape. But um, yeah, I'm usually going that that four the three four turn taking my first guy and five six doubling up taking my second guy, um, at those spots in two QB leagues. Yeah, I think that's a really good default strategy if you're new to two-quarterback formats. It's just don't pick one in the first two rounds. And then after that, you can pick one whenever you want because they tend to be at least appropriately valued relative to the other drafters at that point. Like, if you're mm-hmm. taking a QB in round three or round four, you're probably getting a pretty good player. Uh, maybe not necessarily an elite one, but you're getting a guy who you can probably count on for most of the season, you know, bar- barring injury. And... Once you are set at the position, then you can really just go back to kind of steering into, you know, chasing upside at running back, a wide receiver, a tight end, and all that. that that's probably the a, a really good 
baseline to go into a 2QB draft if you haven't done one before, I think. So I'm glad you kind of framed it that way. Uh, We're running out of time, Rich. Do you have any other thoughts on analyzing QBs or draft strategy for the position that you want to impart to the listeners before we go? Um, no, not off the top of my head, like anything groundbreaking. It's it's just one of those things I know it sounds cliche, but especially in your two QB leagues, you just kind of, kind of go with the ebb and flow. Like you've just got to have a pulse for the other drafters. I mean, you, you do a lot of these leagues. I'm sure you've noticed too, uh, somewhat in a lot of these leagues, um, everyone's starting to get hip to the approach of still waiting, you know? So, yep. I mean, you know, you're starting to see even in two QB leagues outside of Rogers and Brady, and maybe a Cam or Wilson, the the whole whole tiers and totality are still getting moved down because people still want the running backs uh, this year. You know, everyone still wants to get a stable of running backs on their roster. So, I mean, you just have to kind of approach it draft by draft. You just have to really have your thumb on the pulse of your draft, and it's a lot easier for us to say and talk about these things in generalities than it is when you go into your draft. You're just going to have to be on the ball in your draft and, you know, try not to miss and miss out on, like, complete tier waves and totality. Yeah, and I think that applies to one quarterback formats too. It's just, I mean, mm-hmm. that's just a good piece of advice for all sorts of drafting, whether it's, you know, one quarterback, two quarterback, fantasy football, fantasy baseball, whatever. Like, you have to do your homework. You have to be prepared for anything in a draft because you never know exactly how it's going to break out. Um, last thing before we go, Rich, say something nice about this episode's other guests, our pal, Sal Stefanilli. Oh, I mean, is, there's not enough nice things you can say about Sal. I mean, I think between Sal and Bob Harris, like those are the two guys that come as advertised as just genuine sweethearts. Uh, you know, Sal is someone who he sent my my son a Christmas present, you know, a, a few years ago. You know, he's that kind of guy. Uh, just will go out of his way to elevate uh, anyone else. You know, he's a, he's a guy that's going to always think of someone else ahead of him. And, you know, there aren't a lot of those people in the world, let alone the fantasy community. But uh, Sal's just a genuinely good human. And everything you've heard about him is is absolutely true. It's It's hard to believe, but it's absolutely true. Yeah, totally. And I mean, Sal and I jumped into two QBs together. Like we, we, we started the site, you know, as a team along with Josh Lake, but you're right. He's done so much to elevate me and my work and help me become, you know, the analyst that I am, but also kind of the, the fantasy personality that I am. Like I wouldn't be here without him. So I, I mean, this is me saying something nice about Sal too. He's, he's one of the greats, man. And, and, and we love that dude. So, um, Rich, thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate you coming on talking QBs and, uh, Yep, that's it. That's all I got. Anything else you got? <laughs> no, just good luck to everyone. We finally made it. And that does it for today's two-a-day podcast. Please take the time to rate, review, and subscribe to this show, the 2QB Experience. I want to once again thank our new sponsor for the episode, SquadQL. Be sure to check out their app at squadql.com. It gives you the best starting lineup each week, personalized news for your fantasy teams, and all sorts of other player research and whatnot. Download SquadQL and start winning today. Be sure to follow Sal Stefanelli on Twitter at 2QBFFB, as well as Rich Rebar at Lord Reeves. Check out the show description for links to their work, and head over to 2QBs.com to pick up your copy of our 2018 2QB and Superflex Draft Guide. You can follow the site on Twitter at 2QBs. You can follow me at Greg Sauce. Whether you're tweeting at us, emailing us at 2QBs at gmail.com, or typing the URL into your browser, You spell out two QBs with letters, T-W-O-Q-B-S. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week with a week one preview special guest. Stay tuned. Adios.